biggest thing has been realizing that there's this whole beautiful community that's all around me, that's outside of the walls of a building. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. So welcome, Seekers. I am so excited to offer up this conversation today with Kate Keltz. We have a few mutual friends, and I kind of discovered her and have really enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about her, and I thought she would be great to have as a guest on the podcast and have an enjoyable conversation. Kate is a almost 40-year-old cisgender woman who's married to her partner, Andy, for 17 years. They have three kiddos in the Champaign School District and have lived in the Champaign area for eight years now. She is a registered nurse and she works for a nonprofit based in New York City that funds research for a rare genetic disease. She still identifies herself as a Christian because the story of Jesus never fails to capture her heart and imagination but her faith in the ability to do church is on shaky ground. And I know this is something that so many people are wrestling with right now, whether they call it deconstruction, whether they call it questioning, or just trying to come to a place where what their personal beliefs and their identified church community or the label that they put on themselves are in alignment. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you very much. I am excited to be here. As I said, I was a little nervous, and now I think I'm mostly just excited. Well, good. And I'm I'm excited as well. And I appreciate, I so appreciate your honesty, because I think that this is a topic that some people are a little bit hesitant to talk about mm -hmm. um, for good reasons. And we'll dig into that in a little bit, but... I know I just kind of did a, a short introduction for you, but is there anything else that you would like to share about you, who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, so like you said, we've been here for about eight years. Um, and prior to that, we lived in the Los Angeles area, but my husband and I are both originally from Michigan. So uh, the Midwest was not too much of a shock when we moved back. And when I was a little kid, we moved a ton. Uh, so a lot of times when I meet people and I'm getting to know them for the first time, that, that tends to come out because uh, it's sort of unique to, to not live anywhere for more than, you know, 18 months or two years, your whole childhood. Interesting because what it does is that it, it helped me to be someone who acclimates well to new situations and sort of can initiate friendships and, and whatnot. Um, and yet I don't have a lot of experience living in a community for a long time and what that looks like and what the challenges and, and benefits of that can be. And so that's um, something that I'm in the process of learning right now. Um, and then experiencing my children who are only going to know, you know, at least for now, growing up in one place um, and having friends that you've known since before you could remember. Um, and that is a, that's an experience I can't relate to as their mother. And so it's it's been very interesting for us in that way. Um, and then, yeah, and then my husband works in video games and he works from home. So we're both kind of here at our house all the time. <laughs> and that's been interesting. So uh, the shift to uh, working from home was a full-time change for him back at the beginning of, of the pandemic. Um, but now is something I think we've both learned to adjust to and it's found a new rhythm in that. So, and then our kids are back in school, which is great. We're thrilled that they can be there in person uh, and they've stayed, been able to stay safe through that process. And we're, we're grateful for that as well. So. That's awesome. 
I had the experience when I first moved to the area of having a remote job as well in Indianapolis. And it really can be something that is lonely a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's good to have two people in the house sometimes that are working remotely, but that could also be um, somewhat problematic, I would believe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I would agree with that statement. It's, it's nice that uh, when I'm, you know, really stuck in the house all day with back to back meetings, and phone calls that, you know, he'll pop up to grab lunch, or he'll remind me to grab lunch. And, you know, we there's some interaction between a person who's physically here, which is really (laughs) lovely. And and we're, um, we're very lucky that because of our basement, he works there, and I work on the main floor. And that at least mitigates most of kind of the issues that could arise by having to share space. So, mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. So one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is um, people's kind of faith and spirituality mm-hmm. and uh, how that evolves in people's lives. So could you start and maybe tell us a little bit about what your faith and spirituality was growing up and how it has kind of changed and evolved uh, through your almost 40 years. Yes, absolutely. I was raised in a home um, where both of my parents were um, took us to church every Sunday. Um, as I said, we moved a lot and finding a new church was the way that my parents made sure that we kind of got some friends and uh, made some connections as quickly as possible. Um, I was raised in the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which um, for, you know, just shorthand, I'll say is one of the most liberal branches of the Lutheran Church. And so um, I grew up uh, very used to seeing women in leadership. It wasn't too many years after I would have been an adult. I don't know the dates where they uh, became an affirming church as well um, as a denomination. So I didn't, I wasn't actually raised with any of this like really conservative evangelical um, purity culture. Uh, I, I Honestly, I was never exposed to that as a child. Um, and, and church was it was fun. It was uh, sometimes meaningful at different points. We did little service projects in the summer with the youth group. Um, it was actually then that I went to college and uh, was kind of a looking again for connection. Had a really rough first semester my freshman year, um, just in terms of not making connections, not finding friends, and struggling with whether I'd made the right choice to go to a large state school. I was in Michigan and my parents had relocated back to Texas. And so, you know, didn't have family nearby either. Um, And so was really struggling with that decision when a a good friend who's still a very dear friend um, started dragging me along to this InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, And by the end of my freshman year, I was just totally sold out for their program. Um, Really felt like the next three years uh, of school that InterVarsity's work was incredibly transformative for me, really helped me to understand my own faith and what does it mean to try to follow Jesus and you know, not being afraid to actually read the Bible. I mean, for for where I'm at now, it's almost ironic to say that InterVarsity is what gave me my love for scripture because my thoughts and ideas about what scripture is are very different from what I was taught then. Um, but it was still very, you know, important. And it's how I met my husband too, which is great. Um, so then we kind of I graduated. I got married very young. I was 22. We moved out to California together, started having our babies. Uh, we were in a really small, very conservative church, sort of accidentally. We we found it. It was really funny. It was 99% Korean American, mostly just second generation. Um, made some great friends, had a really neat cross-cultural experience in terms of worshiping with people that, you know, whose lives are so different, uh, who look so different from ours um, culturally. And started to just have to confront that uh, what the church was teaching about. So first it was about women. That's where my transformation started. It didn't line up with what I saw when I looked both at scripture, at myself, at our daughter, um, at the kind of the world around me. And, And I think what really gave me pause was that I would hear a teaching so in this church, it was that women were restricted from certain um, levels and, and responsibilities and leadership, um, and that this was biblical. And so I would hear that, um, and yet that is not how any of these 
marriages functioned, like the women in this church were powerful leaders in all kinds of ways that were unofficial. Um, and so I started to really realize, I don't agree with this. We can't be in this church anymore. So that was the, that was the first time. And my husband was completely on board with that. And actually, I'll say InterVarsity is very affirming of women's, women in leadership. So they're very much on board with that. So we made the decision to, to leave that church. Um, and it was the first time that we together as, you know, kind of baby adults <laughs> said, we are responsible for these things. Like the church and the communities that we choose to engage with will impact and influence us and our children and our family. And so we need to be wise in how we engage with community and what we choose. And so we made that decision together. And then it wasn't too long after we left that church that we moved out of California. So more recently, I would say in the eight years that we've lived here, I have had a just a big sort of evolution of, so once I became fully affirming of the LGBTQ community, which it did actually happen when we were still in California, I made a like sort of a similar interesting mistake of we moved here and we joined a church that was not affirming, but who sort of also acted like it was a non-issue, like didn't have anything. It didn't seem to be something that was being talked about. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought again, well, I am who I am and I'm honest about what I believe. And I like having these conversations and having them with people who disagree with me is a good thing. So this is a good church for us because they, they would say we're clear on the essentials in a culture of grace, right? So this is not an essential thing, which I now have different thoughts on that, but at the time made sense for me. So just again, we did this thing where we tried to engage and we did grow very deeply connected to a community where in the end, something that I was told was okay, or I I don't know, I sort of my own convictions evolved. And I realized that this isn't just my preference of belief, but that I actually feel like this is an injustice and that there's harm being caused. And I have, I have a responsibility to act. And so I think what I've most recently realized, sorry, this is just to sort of wrap up is that my, I had to move away from evangelicalism and I had to move into a more progressive uh, world of, of spirituality and Christianity because what I'm seeing to be true about the world and about the precious people who live in it, um, I cannot, they're not being loved and cared for in this community in a way that makes any actual sense. And I know all the language and all the Christianese and all the words to kind of fancy footwork around it. And to me, at the end of the day, it's it's just garbage. Like it, it, it's nonsense and it's still causing harm. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's how, so I, I, I just always felt like it's interesting that I sort of started my faith in this very open place mm-hmm. and then chose and sort of moved into a very closed place and then now have gradually moved back into this very open, open space again. Mm -hmm. Do you think for you, it was more about circumstance? Or do you think that those ways and characteristics of the ways that the church community was, was helpful or in in alignment with where you were kind of developmentally or in your faith Mm -hmm. construction um, at those times in your lives? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And yes, I think that I liked the idea of structure and clear boundaries. That makes sense as a young person, right? Like Mm -hmm. even just thinking about what our, our moral development is and, you know, and things of that nature. I think it's Richard Rohr who taught me this idea of how we spend the first part of our life trying to kind of build a a box that we fit in and that everybody else fits in. And then we spend the rest of our life realizing that that box doesn't make any sense and it doesn't fit and we don't like it. And now we're trying to get out of the box. And so at those points in my life, I was like, oh, I still fit in this box. I just have this one thing that, uh, you know, kind of doesn't fit as well. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I fit here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that's also been something that's really been a hard reckoning for me is this idea that on paper, 
I'm like the best evangelical ever, right? Like I'm white and I'm cisgender and I'm married to a man and I, you know, we are financially stable and I was raised by two, you know, wealthy white people and I have a college education and like all of these stupid, like gross things that make me this perfect fit. And, mm-hmm. and, and I hate it. I hated it. I, it. So I was like, oh, I, I don't fit in this box anymore. And I, I do think it was just, um, yeah, just growing with time and wisdom and life experience and loving people mm-hmm. and realizing I, I don't know how to love you well. And then go to this community where I'm told that I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't love you or I should love you, but, or, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And a lot of that comes through in the way that we look at and frame and even are aware of what the actual teachings of Jesus are mm-hmm. and what, how we frame those biblical narratives and what, what meaning we make out of that. Mm-hmm. So have you discovered that you have kind of found new meanings in the teachings of Jesus and in scripture mm-hmm. as you've started looking at that one thing that maybe didn't fit in the box? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that there was a point where I realized that the stories, particularly stories in the Old Testament, um, but the stories in scripture were actually much more interesting when I stopped trying to make them um, be facts or a historical accounting or um, a, a moral story that's teaching me some black and white moral objective, right? And so when I I was looking and thinking about, you know, kind of who Jesus was and what what does that mean to me? Um, and when I say that the story of Jesus still captures my heart, a, a big piece of it is that I just feel like my entire life, there's always been something new that I see or learn or understand in a story that for all intents and purposes is, is a static story. Like it's in one place in this one Bible. So the idea, and I, I'm sure, uh, and I know from friends that people of all faith traditions experience that sort of magical, you know, how is that possible? And so of recent, from of, of late has been um, the embodiment of Christ, like this idea that God would come, like creator would come to this dark, wet home inside of a, a woman, like a just a girl and choose to enter into the world as this helpless baby, right? And and so the it really has hit me how much Creator cares about our bodies, right? That God has has shown us that bodies are precious, and that um, I think a mistake that or a thing that I had accidentally believed was this sort of our spiritual nature is so important and bodies are blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about, you know, those in the transgender community or those who identify um, anywhere in this beautiful spectrum, right. Of, of human experience, um, their bodies are precious and what they're saying about their bodies is, is worthy of our attention and our care and our respect and so that's something that has really evolved for me away from, do I have the facts of the Bible stories memorized? Do I believe Noah existed? Like, that's so boring. That's what I tell my kids all the time. It's irrelevant. <laughs> you know, totally. All the time. Yeah. My- truths and little t truths. And yes. Is, um, there's no... Like I've let go of a lot of the truths of things, but there's mm-hmm. so much more truth that yes. is there within the stories. And I like what you yeah. said that it, it's not boring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, my kids will say a lot of times, you know, uh, did this happen? Is this, is this a real story? Like, and I always tell them like, that's the least interesting question you can ask about this story. Like, and so they've gotten used to that and now they, <laughs> they ask different questions, but yeah. So I think that's been, that's been really meaningful for me is that I didn't have to, I don't have to completely drop my entire faith system or my entire way of looking at the world and understanding how it works because parts of it no longer make sense or are harmful. 
Um, but I do, I do have a responsibility to walk away from the harmful things and to speak to them and to um, lend my voice where it's appropriate uh, or my ears, which is more often what's appropriate um, to kind of work against those harms. Right. Mm-hmm. So for you, I know you went through a challenging time transitioning mm-hmm. churches. Yeah. What for you was some of the fruits that have come out of that experience and, and what has transformed or grown yeah. in you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll start by admitting that uh, for me, I'm still in a place of a lot of hurt and anger over what happened and how things happened um, when we were leaving our previous faith community. And so I loved this question because it, it asked a lot of me to admit that there's an answer to it. Um, I would like often to stay in a, in an angry and sad place. And I, and I, that's okay. Like I, I'm going to sit with those feelings until they're done with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of seeing growth, I think the, well, I know the biggest thing has been realizing that there's this whole beautiful community that's all around me, that's outside of the walls of a building. And that building meant a lot to us for a lot of years that, you know, since we've moved here. But when it's ta- it was taken from us, we noticed one of the first conversations I had with my husband was, well, who are our friends? Like, what do we have we been so hyper-focused on this small, this one part of Champagne, this one community in Champagne, that we've completely missed all of the other really amazing things that are happening in, the, in this community and all of the people who are maybe tangentially in our lives or that we have a loose connection to, but we didn't have time to pour into those relationships. And so just having our eyes open to that and having our calendars opened to building relationships with new people, having the time and the space to make some intentional decisions now as, as we move forward about, you know, we have started attending a new church and decided that we're going to, we're going to stay there and our kids are really happy there. And that's been a good thing for them. And yet being very intentional about what does it look like to attend that church? Cause our instinct, my instinct for sure, is to volunteer for everything, be in charge of everything, you know, exhaust myself with getting involved. And so resisting that, that urge and, uh, so that we can continue to um, pour in and, 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 look for, and look for opportunities to connect with people outside of um, our traditional faith community has been, mm-hmm. has been a really good thing for us to both see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I would say that probably that instinct makes sense because if you were raised as a way to create a sense of belonging and community is through church belonging, of course that would be your natural instinct. But um, I also going to ask you about the Enneagram later. What What's your Enneagram number? I'm a two. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and even more sad. I'm, yeah, I'm really, really a two. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so even more so that sense of belonging and acceptance through yeah. service and commitment and volunteerism and, and getting yeah. involved kind of speaks to identity and, mm-hmm. and love and, and connection. So yeah. that, that's a that's a very good notice on your part. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm really fascinated about people who are going through these faith journeys and kind of reimagining, reconstructing, questioning. I learned of the word deconstruction, you know, a couple years ago, maybe in 2017, 2018. I identify as being Catholic, so we don't have that term in our denomination necessarily, but there's a lot of people in the Catholic faith who are also going through the same things. And so that there's just a lot of shifting that's mm-hmm. happening in the Christian world, the American mm-hmm. Christian world, and the the whole Christian world. And I think one of the criticisms or the fears around people going through this period of questioning and reexamining is that they're going to pull away from the church, mm-hmm. that they're going to discard Christianity altogether, mm-hmm. or 
become atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, And you spoke very eloquently in that you haven't cast aside your beliefs. You've just kind of transformed them. But what's your perspective and experience in somebody who has been kind of in the evangelical community around this sense of questioning versus not questioning and fear versus okayness? Yeah, no, this is that's a great question. I think, you know, one of the hardest things about any shifting faith is that uh, the people who believe that they know you and and have been a part of your faith journey up to that point will be very fearful about even the conversations. Um, I know that uh, when I said something on Facebook about not identifying as an evangelical and my mom called me and <laughs> my mom who doesn't even really know what that word means for the most part because she's not like it's, it's just not even, it was so cute. And I was like, I was like, no, great. I'm happy to explain mom. And so we had a really good conversation, but yeah, she was definitely concerned. Like, are you saying that you're not a Christian? And, you know, I know my mother well, and she would love and accept me. However, I chose to land and communicate and believe. And, um, but yes, that's, there's a lot of fear. I shifted away a couple of years ago from talking about uh, what I believe, even though I still use that word. I try to, in my own reflections, journaling and, and conversations when I can do it well, to move towards what I trust. And I was struck, I think it was a, a Peter Enns is a progressive Christian theologian. And I think he, he had a book, The Sin of Certainty, that um, really helped hone that in for me of this idea that um, we are not asked to, uh, well, I don't think that Jesus is ever asking us to consent intellectually to a list of demands and things that we have to believe to get the the gold star. Instead, it's an invitation to trust, to trust. For me, that looks like trusting in the person of Jesus and who he revealed himself to be in the Christian um, scriptures. It's trusting in my own experience. It's trusting in the, my experience of the spirit that, dwells within and around and among us. Um, and in her, uh, I use female pronouns for the Holy Spirit, which mostly probably won't confuse your audience, but I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just explain. Um, yeah. But yeah, and her ever kind of changing in presence in, in my life, in trusting the people that are in my life, right? And in the, the wisdom that they bring. Um, so I think that shift I, I find myself, and this is probably some of my Enneagram too, in in caring well for others, but not well for myself, is that in conversation with friends who are part of my kind of, who are fearful about these changes that I'm talking about and who are um, concerned or worried for me as I talk about um, not taking scripture literally or not believing that it's inerrant and like some of these different things, I find myself backing away from the conversation and trying to make it more palatable um, for those friends, um, which harms the friendships, you know, because if you're not being honest and you're not being authentic of, of for who you are and where you're at, then, you know, that's going to harm that relationship in the long run. So that's something that I'm working on. So I've totally forgotten your question because I was talking. <laughs> Uh, what's your perspective and experience around the sense of deconstructing? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Sorry. So that, I mean, that's my experience, right? And I, I think I've had people who have been helpers along the way. I have a good friend who's up in Canada who is like always been a progressive Christian. She's, you know, her husband is um, uh, I, kind of depending on the day of the week all over the map as to whether he even believes in God. Like she's been just an incredible support for me in term, and when, I, when I'm processing. So, and all these books I read and these podcasts I love to listen to and just realizing there's this whole big wide world out there of people who are all over the spectrum of, of Christianity and faith and spirituality and, and realizing that like, I'm not alone in, in this. And I'm also not alone in the experience of having people who, who I care about and who do care very much about me um, struggle to understand, you know, kind of what I'm talking about. So. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's so true. And what you said, so many of the things that you said just resonated with me. And that's actually part of the reason why I started Soul Care was because Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a place in the East Central Illinois community where people could have these kinds of conversations and Mm -hmm. wrestle with the things. And 
be exposed to the books and the podcasts and the learnings and and see see what interests them mm-hmm. um, at that period in their life because I I myself was a little bit lonely and you know I saw all these people like you were saying in Canada or in California mm-hmm. or in North Carolina who were very vocal and loud and and these teachers mm-hmm. who were out there you know all over the place but um, I didn't see a lot of that in our area mm-hmm. so I wanted to provide this very safe space where people of like-minded questioning mm-hmm. could connect with one another. And to that end, I know that this experience can be lonely for mm-hmm. people and can affect relationships, whether they are authentic relationships or relationships of convenience. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you want to share any particular stories, if you want to get that that personal or in-depth, or and also where where were you able to find additional support and community as you went through this process? Yeah. So I think one thing I am very grateful for is that as I've processed and talked and sort of stretched my, you know, proverbial kind of muscles and in, in learning about the broader world of Christian belief. I've had this really great husband who's just like an incredible listener. Uh, he's an Enneagram nine, which makes him just very open mm-hmm. and, and calm. And he doesn't panic or worry. He loves to see new and different perspectives. He, when we first started talking about the um, and confronting, so it, with our previous church, um, essentially by the end, it all boiled down to our convictions about uh, being in an affirming church. And we knew that the church was not going to become affirming. And so we were already wrestling with what that meant for us when they doubled down and we, we were, we had to leave because we, we wouldn't change our stance on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so going through that process with him at the very beginning, he, he talked about how he was resting in his privilege, not deciding what he thought about the issue because he wasn't being impacted directly. Like it wasn't one of our children that was going Mm -hmm. through some kind of, you know, learning about their gender identity or realizing that they were gay or, you know, that, that has not happened yet um, in our home. And so his ability to recognize that that's a privilege and then engage in the conversation. Actually for an Enneagram nine, that's kind of hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he's just been a really incredible support because nothing I say frightens him. Not, nothing's, you know, we're never hitting the panic button. And, and he, he's really enjoying the process with me, which has been really, really special. Um, and I think I'm, I not, I know that not everybody experiences that in their, you know, kind of romantic um, mm-hmm. partner. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. Um, and then I think outside of that, I have some friends locally. So like I said, my friend in Canada, who's been really, really helpful. And then I have a couple of local friends who um, are just sort of like over it entirely. Like one of them's like, I don't think I believe in God anymore. Like, I just don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't think I care. Um, And so we talk about all this stuff because they think it's super interesting Mm -hmm. and it's very non-judgmental because they don't, you know, I, I think for, in my experience, the problem for evangelicals, um, is that if they make space for my questioning or my changing ideas, it's a direct threat to the the box they've built for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's if I take out this block, will the whole wall come crumbling down? Mm-hmm. And I have so much compassion for that fear. I understand it. I, mm-hmm. I've been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I sort of. I, I, that's not my nature. I'm much more of a like, uh, yeah, I, I don't, um, but, but I get that that's what's happening. I see it. It's, it's, and it's, I, like I said, I have compassion for it. And so I think in terms of specific stories, you know, there are friends that, well, in, in one particular instance, the wife is my dear friend and is 
really has been struggling with everything that's gone on in our previous community. And her part, her husband was a, a big player in what happened with us. And it's essentially made it impossible for us to, um, for our families to stay connected. And, and she and I have actually been able to talk a little bit about that and to acknowledge the loss um, and that there's not a fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been, that yeah, it's very painful. And I just, I hesitate sometimes, like our experience is, was very painful and there was a lot of loss for us, absolutely. And yet I always am reminded that you know, we, we said we are an affirming, we are a family that has affirming views about the LGBTQ community, and we are not going to change our minds about that. And this matters and God's precious people are being hurt and we're not okay with it. And that's, that's great. Good job us. (laughs) But we are not the ones being hurt. Mm -hmm. We are not the people who are being harmed actively. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it also feels like an incredible gift that we have been invited to even care about this, like to like, yeah, I, I, so I'm just always mindful and not to compare one suffering to another. I think that's unhelpful and pretty pointless for the most part, but, um, but I think it's easy to get to a place of like, Oh, poor us. Look at all we've lost because of this. Okay. Well, but (laughs) it's, it's, that's not the point. And, and so I just, I'm always reminded of that as well. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I really appreciate that you have a sense of your part to play and also not centering yourself in an issue where people who are not you are, are much more directly affected. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, you do a really good job modeling that. Thank you. And I think that we have lots of opportunities to see how that, that's a thing that people talk about a lot, mm-hmm. especially within social justice circles. And you don't always have an opportunity to see somebody modeling it. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that and value what you just brought to the conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. I've definitely seen it modeled interestingly uh, for all of its downsides um social media has been really informative and helpful for me in my journey of learning about my own privilege and learning about how to decenter whiteness and learning about i just you know was reading and trying to learn about the concept of divesting from whiteness and i i'm no do not know much i'm learning uh, and i feel that way about most of these conversations, right? I, 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 I just, I'm, if, if I can have a learning posture, then that's, that's my goal. Right. And so, um, and so seeing it modeled ironically uh, on social media in some cases has been really helpful. So that's really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes even in social media spaces, I think there's a preachiness mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. right way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And um whatever right is but yeah I know and there's so much like burning people down when they Uh make mistakes which we all do I just recently learned a concept of instead of calling someone out calling someone in and um and and there was a great just a great little video about like when one might be appropriate versus another right Mm -hmm. and that they might both have a play a role to play Mm -hmm. um and and that uh they can both be a powerful tool in the conversations around injustice yeah. And I, um, to kind of circle back around to what you said earlier in the conversation, um, the concept of bodies and embodiment within mm-hmm. the context of our Christian faith, mm-hmm. um, I think is an important component as we're talking about social justice issues and, mm-hmm. and justice in general, mm-hmm. because I think there's a tendency to intellectualize a lot of the things that that we have to learn mm-hmm. and a lot of these concepts. Um, and I think an important step is to take it from our head into our hearts and into our bodies mm-hmm. and see how that feels mm-hmm. when we're trying on these new ways of being and acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I talk with my, uh, my kids when they start to have, you know, 
they're getting upset about something or they're feeling anxious about something. We talk a lot about trying to stay in our body mm-hmm. um, and how, and actually, even as you said that Kelly, it, it really connected to me with this idea of, you know, if you're being taught one thing um, by a, a leader in your life that you respect uh, in your faith community or in your family. Um, and then you take that belief and you actually put it on and go out into the world and interact with other people. And what does that actually look like? And that was, that was a big part of my realizing that these, these little things that I might say about, Oh yeah, you know um, you can be, uh, you're probably like born gay, but then you can like choose and like there's like a better choice and a worse choice or something like whatever that terrible concept is that we hear all the time from evangelicals and from Christians that I can't wear that. I can't, I can't carry that around in my person and take that to other people and, and put it, put it on them. And so mm-hmm. uh, that, that really connected for me just now. And I, I, I do want to say one thing only because of how I just phrased that. I do know people who identify as Christian, who also identify as gay or having, as as they um, in particular might say, same-sex attraction, who then choose to live a life of celibacy and singleness. And I just, it's important to me to always say that I deeply respect people's choices. And I try to communicate that um, with my words and my actions. And so when I talk about being an affirming person of the LGBTQ community, uh, what that looks like for me is affirming humans and people where they are. And when someone tells me who they are, I believe them. And so I think that's an important distinction that it's, it's not just an issue, uh, like a justice issue. It's, it's people who, um, who are trying to live in this world alongside the rest of us mm-hmm. and need to be doing that and have a right to do that in a safe and supportive way. Mm-hmm. So. Mm, I really appreciate that too. One of the things that came up to me when you talked about choices mm-hmm. was uh, a concept that I've been talking with people about is um, intentional choices and making intentional choices versus almost like expected choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And especially as women, as we are trying to figure out living into our fullest identity. I think sometimes there's a lot of expected choices. Mm-hmm. You know, Jen, uh, Glennon Doyle talks about that and Jen Hatmaker talks about that. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to uh, really apply that same learning to people of lots of other different identities and seeing mm-hmm. that choices mm-hmm. are intentional and expected. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And as a, again, it's like, when you're a, a woman and a two in the church in America, you you basically, uh, it's easy for me to fall into only the choices that are expected of me at all times. Yes. So you mentioned Glennon, which is funny because every single thing she says makes me angry, <laughs> but in the best possible way. <laughs> so I, I had an opportunity to- You're right there, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, stop, stop it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I I had an opportunity to see her and hear her speak in person and then do like just a quick meet and greet after. And it was, oh, I was like, cool. it was great. I really, I really appreciate um, her, her words as much as they make me want to plug my ears sometimes. So uh-huh. yes, <laughs> no, I agree. And uh, um, I wanted to say earlier, I kind of fan girl a little bit on PNs and oh. I got to go to the very first evolving faith conference and he was there as a speaker and I got to receive communion from him. Oh, oh I'm definitely a fan girl. And I, yeah, he, I listened to his podcast. I've read his books. I'm, I'm jealous. I, I have to actually, one of my, uh, my goals is to get to go to an evolving faith once they're happening back in person again. So they are going to do one in person in 2022. So that's I, what I saw. I follow Sarah Bussey too. I'm, I'm, you know, we know, all, we love all these same people probably. So and Jeff Chu. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. This is fun. It's fun talking to someone who knows all these same like minor progressive Christian celebrities. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, it is kind of fun. Um, so uh, this has just been such a great conversation. I, I always like ending my podcast interviews with a series of kind of rapid fire questions because we get into these really deep, heady topics and these are a little bit more fun and uh, off the cuff. Um, so are you ready to do some rapid fire questions? I am ready. Wonderful. So what's something that people get wrong about you? People think that I love babies. <laughs> I know that's stupid. <laughs> I'm a two, I'm a helper, I'm a mom, I'm a pediatric nurse by training. I am, I, I yeah, but I don't really want to hold your baby. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, where do you see the divine as most alive for you in this season? Oh, that's a great question. For me right now, I would say it is in the quiet pockets that I am always looking for. So I, I get up very early in the morning um, to usually to do some kind of exercise. Um, and I like to do it alone. I like to be alone. I listen to something. And then at night, if I get all my kids in bed and my husband's teaching his night class and I don't know, just those little pockets where nothing's being asked of me. I think for Enneagram twos, for me, it can be very, very hard. If there's anyone else in the room, that's where my focus goes. And so it's finding some solitude has been a really important practice for me. Mm -hmm. What's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary, but is sacred for you? Oh, I love that question. Uh, it's it's going to be a funny answer. It's uh, twinkle lights, like Christmas lights. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something really, and I just kind of pieced it together last Christmas, that I don't just like Christmas lights. I have so many inside my house. It's actually just this incredible reminder to me of the light coming into the darkness. And that particular type of light, it's this warm, flickering light that you know, it shouldn't be able to light up the darkness, but it does. Mm -hmm. mm. What are you deeply grateful for right now? I have to say my family. It's a boring answer, but I have this, like I said, I've sung his praises. I'm really, really deeply grateful for a, a healthy marriage. I, it's not something I take for granted at any point. And all three of our children have had pretty significant medical issues somewhere in their lifetime, some recent, some not so recent, and are currently all very healthy and, and fairly well adjusted. So I'm really grateful. Yay. Wait a week, wait a day. I, right, right. <laughs> how, how old are your kids? They are uh, 13, 12, and 8. Oh, definitely wait a day. Yeah. Well, and I, I was about ready to uh, kick one to the curb last night and then realized they were just hungry. So <laughs> you never know. We all get hangry sometimes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm I'm in the end of child rearing, so my youngest is uh, 17 and uh, will be graduating high school this year. And uh, I look back on those middle school years, and sometimes I miss it, and sometimes I'm really glad that we are not in those anymore. Yes. Yes, that's how I feel about the baby years. I try to be honest about that when uh -huh. new moms ask me. There's things I absolutely miss, and there are things that I will never, ever miss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, waking up in the middle of the night and having to Ugh. get it. No. So I know this is going to be hard. Might be like, which is your favorite kid? But name a book that you would recommend to the audience. And if you need to recommend a couple, that's okay. <laughs> Whew. Okay, so that is definitely very hard for me. Okay, well, the first one I was going to say is Love Matters More by Jared Bias, and he's the guy that does the Bible for Normal People podcast with Peter Enns. Uh -huh. um, it's a beautiful book, and I think if there's anyone listening who's even putting your toe in the water of questioning some of your traditional evangelical beliefs, that this is a really beautiful place to start. And the other book, I oh, it's such a hard one. Uh, I'm going to say Austin Channing's book, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Mm -hmm. um, that book feels like a completely undeserved, sacred invitation into her experience as a Black woman in this country. Um, and as a white woman, the fact that she would write that and allow me to read it is just 
mind-blowing and just such a gift. So that would be my my second. But only because I don't have an hour to... <laughs> Right. To send you a Goodreads list or something. <laughs> well, and if you are open to sharing your um, your Goodreads list, I'm happy to link it in our into our show notes. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I will. I will do yeah. that. Send that to me, and I'll I'll pop it in our show notes. Okay. Um, and for the people who are voracious readers, I also um, we always put a link to a thing called Bookshop, which oh, is a yeah. online alternative to Amazon where people can purchase their books and support local booksellers. So yeah. um, if you're buying books, whether these that Kate just recommended or a million other books that I recommend all the time. Uh, use our bookshop link and, and um, support local booksellers. Yeah, we, uh, I started doing that. I cannot remember when somebody told me about it and there's a great little um, bookshop bookstore up in Chicago owned by uh, a black woman. And I for, I'm totally forgetting the name of it. But what I like about that website is that you can actually say what book store you, yeah, you are. Choose to, to yeah. And see if they sell those books as well as yeah. um, like you're also supporting soul care when you purchase that. Yeah. So it's a win, win, win for everyone. It's very cool. Um, yeah. Um, do you know that uh, I believe Austin Channing Brown has a new book out as well? No, she does. I think I read that. I haven't, I don't know what it's called or anything, but I believe either she's working on one or she has a new one out. Okay. I'm going to look for it. Thank you. Yes. Um, so is there anything else that you would like to end with? Well, I just want to say thank you for asking me to be on the podcast. I think I shared with you when we were discussing setting this up that uh, I'm not, I'm not anyone, right? I'm not, uh, I, I don't have a website. I didn't write a book. I don't, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> uh, and yet the questions that you asked and the process of answering them, I can already tell have um, had a, a healing effect and I appreciate it. So thank you. Oh, that's so wonderful. And that's what this is all about. It's, uh, I, of course, it's really interesting to talk with people who are in, um, you know, these positions of authority or have titles mm -hmm. or, or whatever by their names, but it's also just wonderful to talk with ordinary people who are doing ordinary things and figuring out how everything in their ordinary lives is actually spiritual because it really is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So thank you. And thank you for consenting. Thank you for willing to be brave and vulnerable and for engaging in conversations with me today. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I hope you'll come and visit sometime. Yes. I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.